Namaste, everyone. This is Reverend Dr. Patricia Keel. Welcome to the Oneness Program. You're listening to a new radio program that is the beginning of a worldwide broadcast of the Oneness Movement and the energies that are coming out of Oneness University in India. I'm Reverend Dr. Patricia Keel, and for many years I've been involved as a Unity Minister. I pioneered a church in Berkeley, Unity Berkeley, which is continuing to grow and thrive. And recently I have been focusing more and more of my awareness and attention on the phenomenon that is coming out of India, out of Oneness University in southern India. This phenomenon is known as the Oneness Movement. One of the reasons that I've been so excited about the Oneness Movement is that it embraces something that I've been really called into my whole life, and that is this knowing, this deep knowing beyond the level of concept that there is really one divine presence and that that divine presence can be known by people of all cultures, of all traditions, of all faiths, by whatever name they choose to know it and in whatever fashion they choose to praise it, honor it, and commune with it. And the oneness blessing and the oneness movement is um, a new phenomenon that is calling people of all faiths and all cultures and all traditions to really acknowledge this divine presence in a deep and a profound way. This show, The Oneness Program, is a direct inspiration from the Divine. I have been to India four times, first in March of 06 and then August 07, and then I went back in January of 2010 to be certified as a Oneness trainer and initiate people as Oneness blessing givers here in the United States. And most recently, I was back in India in January and February to do a 28-day, very intense deepening process. And both the last two times I've been to India, I've had this impulse that I was to begin an internet radio station that would really bring the oneness message to people all over the planet. For the past year, I've kind of discounted that. I've been very busy working in my Unity Church. But in January this year, and I released that experience of being a minister at Unity of Berkeley and have become more focused on my energies here with the Oneness Movement. And coming back from India this time, it was very, very clear that this was something that I was called to do. Now, I, I do, I have to tell you, I have a little experience in radio and I actually love the radio. In 2008, 2009, Roy Doty, my partner, who's going to be on the show with us later today, we did a wonderful live radio program every week in San Francisco on KEST Radio. And from that, I helped Roy do an internet radio program on his book, A Monument of Wonders. But I hadn't really put together all the tools necessary to not only have an internet radio program, which is what the Oneness program is, but actually to create an internet radio station. 
And that's what the divine has told me I'm supposed to do. So I'm in the midst of learning, and I have quite a bit of a learning curve here, but I do have support. And I'm so grateful for those people who are supporting me, for Ray Zander and the people at Live 365 Radio who will be doing all the technology of the Oneness FM internet radio station, and Christy Walsh, who's helping me with these shows, and all the many Oneness Blessing trainers all over the world who have yet to tell me that they want to host programs. But that is my vision, that is my goal, that we will have programs all day and all night, blessing you with the energies of oneness and bringing you more and more inspiration how you can connect into these deep fields in your own life experience. So that's a little history about my experience of oneness, and now it's time for us to move into our show today. You're listening to the Oneness Program here on Oneness FM. This is Patricia Keel, and I'm here with Roy Doty, and we're talking about poetry and oneness. Roy is a master poet, and at the end of our last segment, he read a beautiful poem to us. And I'd love to have us begin this section of the show by your sharing a poem that you read when we were in India and had an an opportunity to meet privately with Sri Bhagwan. And this was a poem that you had written, I think, a couple of days before. And as we sat at his feet, you shared this with him. Yeah, I'll just introduce this for a little while. I think uh, things have changed since we were there, and Bhagavan doesn't do he doesn't do that much. private audiences. Well, he does some. He does some. Yeah. So we but he were does very fortunate, and uh, I have to say that um, I wasn't a very devoted devotee. I had been to India, but uh, I. A devoted devotee? <laughs> I wasn't a very devoted devotee. But when we walked into the room, uh, I just let Patricia go ahead of me because I knew how important it was for her. And um, there was something about that gesture which was not Indian-like, where the oh, women okay. follow the men. And Bhagavan liked that. <laughs> and I wasn't necessarily going to read a poem. I brought one. I brought a little notebook. and uh, But Patricia sort of... Egged me, you on. Goaded me into it. And um, so I was able to read this poem to Bhagavan. And um, it was just very gratifying to have uh, this really uh, exalted personage <laughs> um, listening to the, the poem with the kind of attention that a person if he is a person, that Bhagavan could bring to something. Yeah, he was. he's very present to you, isn't he? It's quite extraordinary. So this, this poem is called uh, Maternity. The dawn uncoils her peace with a silent, a breathless ferocity pouring streams of white down the igneous orchard rose while she, lean, four-footed mother, stands patiently as her biting brood clamors beneath her. Her pups know only their own convulsive hungers, their desires for food, for sex, their desire to give birth to themselves, which she, as the milk maker, gives first to one leaf, then another, then, 
in an orgy of uterine trembling as torch to driest tinder she copiously feeds her whitest of white fires to all the children of the day the mountains stand sentinel to her tenderness as we all fire ourselves burn with the selfsame ardor living and dying our ten billion dramas as if this divine conflagration were the most mundane of occurrences which it is now as the mother and child the one fire in innumerable flames fall sweetly down to ashes the coil uncoiling the pups collapse into sleep and her ocean of flames becomes an ocean of honey really powerful Roy to listen to I and I've heard it several times before and I uh, it's it's just beautiful to revisit India and feel the images of your poetry kind of with me when I go back you know I've been back two more times since you were there and, and the dogs are still there the pregnant dogs are still there and you know when I see them I have a much bigger field of understanding of the dogs and what they're connected to and how we're connected to them in some deep and powerful way they're very sad in many regard you know just being watching these dogs that wander around the campus at golden city many of them apparently are diseased and and uh, old but i think they're mostly sad from our yeah. point of view as westerners <laughs> I don't know from the point of view of, of, dog of the dogs <laughs> that their existence is sad. I mean, the thing, the overwhelming impression that I had in India, especially on the first trip, but on both trips, is that every moment is a moment of birth. And it's something we totally forget 
as we go about our own sort of preconditioned sort of boxed-in lives mm -hmm. that uh, one moment follows another in a sort of sequential order and what happens next is pretty much the outcome of what happened before and there's sort of a constant sort of calendrical and clock repetition and reiteration of the same round of going through the same motions and in India or uh, in the experience of going to Oneness University was that every moment was a moment of birth. Total, every moment was different. You never could predict what was going to happen next. And nothing in consciousness sort of prepared you for the fact that uh, eternity is kind of, kind of always waiting in the offing, and, and it rushes down on you there in a very profound way. And the oneness blessing is designed to give that to people, to transfer that experience to people. The experience of eternity. The experience of, of birth and eternity. Mm -hmm. Every moment, present moment. Well, and that is a part of what I know you've been spending a lot of time with lately in this project that you've created. Um, and you're putting together a series of poems about your mother. And again, it's all about birth and so much of our lives is about birthing something, whether it's in the physical or whether it's in that inner creative world, whether it's being present to the moment that is and really connecting with it in a deep way. Uh, yes, I, as I said earlier in the program, I write a poem every day and uh, a little over a year ago my mother passed away. And so I had a poetic record of, of that as well. And it's sort of a segue to go from this feeling of constant birth uh, that we experience in India and the Oneness University to the more mundane, but in some ways, infinitely more intimate and profound experience of your own mother and your own birth. Mm. And so I, I've written a series of poems on that, which... Uh, will hopefully be published soon. <laughs> well, this is a great time for us to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about that particular poem series and also about a retreat that's being created around poetry and oneness. Yeah. Yeah. Our guest today on the Oneness Program is Roy Doty. Welcome, Roy. Welcome. Thank you. I said this is a little deja vu for us because we had our own program on live radio in San Francisco several years ago. You want to tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, Patricia and I did a program called the Oneness Program, which is also what this program is called on KESTAM radio for, I think, about a year and a half. And uh, it'll be a little bit of different format this time because this will be Patricia's show and not mine, but she's invited me as a guest on this first one, and here I am. Yeah. So our focus today, Roy is a Oneness blessing giver. He and I both went to India for the first time in March of 06, and then we went back to a deepening process in August in 07. And uh, when we were back there, actually the first time, we had a, a darshan with Sri Bhagwan. And at that time, Roy was able to share his poetry with Bhagwan. And Bhagwan was very clear in saying that your writing and your poetry is very much a diksha for people, so that people find themselves 
blessed by listening to what it is that you're creating. So part of why I wanted to include you in this first show was really to embrace that aspect of creativity that you bring through your poetry and that I think a lot of our listeners have um, in their lives in in very different ways. So I I kind of think of the show as oneness and poetry and you being the master poet to be able to share with us. What I'd like to do, Roy, is is kind of frame your poetry, and we're going to have an opportunity to hear you read some poetry in the air, but to frame it in the context of your um, experience in oneness. And if you could just begin by giving us a sense of what that has been for you um, vis-a-vis your creative experience as a poet and a writer. Yeah, I have a discipline around writing poetry, that uh, was started several years ago in conjunction with a discipline that I have of daily meditation. And it started with a friend of mine who was my business partner at the time saying to me one time in one of our long drives to one of our clients, he said there are a couple of different kinds of writers. One kind of writer concentrates on a certain genre, writing mysteries or writing travel books and they are trying to create a commodity that they sell to an audience. And there's another kind of writer who writes for sort of spiritual exploration. Mm -hmm. And as soon as he said that, I knew which kind I was. And I'd been writing poetry since I was a teenager, but I decided at that point that I would uh, write a poem every day. And then at the same time, I had seen a book called 10,000 Buddhas, (laughs) And 10,000 Buddhas was about a uh, sculptor, and uh, his goal in life was to carve 10,000 Buddhas. And I thought, well, I'm going to write 10,000 poems. Beautiful. So for people who think that's a small number, if you write, <laughs> if you write a poem every day of your life, one poem a day, it will take you 27 years and I think four months to write 10,000 poems. And where are you now? Have you? I've probably written about 5,000 poems. Well, I've that's been doing impressive. this particular discipline for about 12 years, but I had written a few poems before then as well. So when I went to India, I didn't have to like think about writing a poem about going to India. I was already well into the discipline of writing a poem every day. And so, uh, and I do that 365 days a year. doesn't matter if I'm on a plane. doesn't matter if it's Christmas. doesn't matter mm. what it is. I will do that just as I will always do my meditations no matter what. You know what strikes me, like, just in your talking about this, and we've talked about it before, but I've never had this kind of question. Many people are journal writers, you know, and they write in their journal every day. But how, how is, the poetry is really very, very different how is that for you, that experience for you? Yeah, it is very different. Um, for one thing, at least in my case, my poetry does not use the pro- personal pronoun I as the sort of speaker in the poem. So there is a speaker in the poem, and eventually that can be traced back to me. <laughs> But I think of the poems as a sort of uh, the expression of the moment, the expression of time itself. Mm. And uh, I'm part of that expression, but the way the language forms in that moment 
I often say it's it's impersonal. In some ways, it's impersonal. So um, I'm not trying to give a portrait of my psyche or psychoanalyze myself or do anything like that. What I'm trying to do is to evoke the organism of a poem. It's like the poem has an its own life. There's the like poem an has entity. Its own life. I mean, knowing you and knowing this pattern of writing that you have, I really get the sense that you have this calling in life to give life to entities of language that want to be born and birth. You're kind of like a midwife of forms of language. And poetry is only one form. I know you you have the Monument of Wonders, which is another major work that you're doing. Um, how does then... And I think you've started to even talk about it. How does the experience of oneness, I don't want to say the idea or the concept of oneness, but literally the experience of oneness uh, manifest through your poetry? Well, I, I, I guess the key word there that you're using is the word experience. We usually think of language as something that's a signifier for we have an experience, then we try to find a word Describe that, that or... is the icon or the signpost that we can then paste over the experience, and then that will evoke the experience again. Mm. That's not the way I think of language. I think of language as a living thing. Words are living things that are coaxed together, sort of, so to speak, <laughs> um, to express themselves in the way that a tree might express itself or a rock or a mountain or a bird or any other thing of life. Um, so as far as the experience of oneness goes, my own experience of oneness is just a deepening and enriching of experience. So we're often locked into our conditioning as Americans, as being members of a certain family, of speaking a certain language, of having gone to a certain school, of having had certain parents, all that conditioning uh, that we think of as who we are. Mm -hmm. And my experience in India, and certainly my experience as a poet, is that that is a fraction, a tiny, tiny fraction of who we are. And when we start to sort of break through those barriers of conditioning, we begin to experience life in quite a different way. And I would say that uh, poetry, poems, particular poems, uh, are the embodiment of that experience. And because we know that a poem will outlast the language and the culture that it's written in. Mm -hmm. People will learn ancient Greek, for example, so they can read Homer or so they can read Sappho. Even though the languages are not spoken anymore by anyone, the poetry stays alive. Mm. And so there is some entity behind that, just as there is some entity, you might want to call it the soul, or the transpersonal self, or whatever, that trans transcends our body boundaries and our cultural boundaries, and the little short biographical uh, existence that we have between our biological birth and death and getting in touch with that I think is something that really happens to one in a major way when you go to India Oh yes. and, and anyone who's <laughs> gone to India and gone to Oneness University knows that and uh, it's something that I sort of is reiterated for me every day as I write so 
let, I'd like to just bring bring us into focus a bit of your experience in India because I know that you've got some poems to share with us um, and maybe this would be a good time for you to to share yeah. one of those. I, I think the first poem I think I'll read is, is called Arrival and it, it's just the first, my first impression of India and when I got off the plane for the first time in Chennai. Oblivious, the taxi driver stands ankle deep in pouring rain, stows bags possessing what he never shall, then threads his little vehicle through the motliest herd of conveyances, buses, mopeds, bicycles, tricycles, tankers, carts pulled by lumbering oxen with painted horns, each one lurching forward at its own speed, while he, the taxi driver, constantly caresses his staccato horn as if its harmless bird chirp were actually the force which displaced the careening tonnage of jerry-rigged lorries for that critical hair's breadth which affords us a sighing safe passage. Here is filth already millennia old before the birth of Christ, shining on a ground which reeks of petroleum, feces, garbage, and sanctity. Inside what remains of our minds, the usual whirl of thoughts, even in the midst of this crowded, streaming, steaming bustle, floats down corridors of cloud-smudged stars to some place where starlight and moonlight and sunlight are one. India. Now, her immemorial potencies of passion and silk and marble rise from that deep well which has birthed and enriched and impoverished billions of souls, tiger and elephant and lowly rat and human, all writhing together with clashing bracelets and anklets in that love-making which never starts nor ends, but where we, in our insulated bed, meet in a mating which falls like sun-soaked rain. Listening to your poetry is so powerful that having a conversation immediately after it doesn't feel like the right thing to do at all. Uh, so putting a bit of music in there really seems to give people a chance to go more deeply with the words. I have my own impressions because I was there with you in the taxi and all, but, <laughs> but I'd just like to hear from you just some of your experiences and, and perhaps just some of the impressions that came through in that poetry. Well, I, it was such a very different place for me. Uh, 
I grew up with a Swedish mother who was very neat and orderly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk and a little is bit. anything but neat and orderly. <laughs> and uh, so more than anything else, just sort of the overwhelming drenching of new impressions. I think we arrived past midnight and immediately you're just deluged by uh, a crowd of new impressions and a crowd of a crowd people. people. Yeah, a crowd of people. Yeah, the airport is mobbed in the middle of the night. So in this particular poem, hopefully that's what comes through, uh, the, just sort of the, that overwhelming quality of all the things being rushed at you at once. And uh, that includes the sights, the smells, the trash, the various kinds of people, and uh, just the overwhelming sort of, um, the, the word I use in the poem is sanctity of the place. I love that. Yeah, that word sort of stood out for me. Uh, so this one poem, and I hopefully, hopefully it will speak to people who have both been to India, but also speak to people who have not been to India, but who have found themselves in a spiritual place where uh, that overwhelming sanctity shines through their ordinary experience. It's a perfect example of how the inner, and you can't tell what's going on inside by looking at the outside, because people in India, for the most part, are extremely devoted and, and have a deep connection to the divine. And yet, in the outer, there's a, a lot of chaos all the time, all India all the time. It's almost the reverse of what it is in the United States. Yes, where there's... Where there's a lot of exterior order, but if you are very quiet, you can feel people's anxiety yes. as they are just standing mm -hmm. in line in the grocery store mm -hmm. or wherever. Uh, that was something I definitely noticed when I came back. Well, now is the time in our program, uh, tw 20 minutes after the hour, that we will be offering our listeners a special oneness blessing, a oneness diksha. And so I invite you, as you're listening to the program, to just take a moment and to be still. You don't really have to do anything. You don't need to close your eyes, certainly not if you're listening to us while you're on the road. But simply to take this moment and allow the divine grace of these oneness blessings, these energies, to permeate your being. Uh, and in this time, Roy and I will both offer you a oneness blessing for the next one minute as we listen to the sounds of India, the sounds of the Mulaman. Listening to the Oneness Program, and this is Patricia Keel, and I'm here with Roy Doty, who is a master poet and also a Oneness Blessing giver. And we've been talking to Roy about his experience in India. He's shared some beautiful poetry from that experience. Roy writes a poem every day in his 
10,000 Poem Project. And just before the break, we were talking about Roy's upcoming book on, uh, what's the name of the book? Uh, Clear Morning. And, it's and there's a pun dedicated. on morning of both morning like the dawn and morning of grief. Grief. So this is a this is dedicated to your mother, I know that. And yeah. What's the, the framework of time when these poems The framework were of time was uh, just a few, my mother just took ill suddenly and uh, lived a very full life and, and died within a few days of her taking ill. And uh, it, my brothers and sisters and I were summoned quickly to come to the Black Hills in South Dakota where my parents lived. And uh, it was the middle of winter there, and a pretty hard winter at that in December, but very, very cold and snowy. And so the circumstances of her passing uh, were embedded in this, uh, for, for me and Patricia, who came from California, this sudden <laughs> being thrust into Snowstorm, this <laughs> freezing. sub-zero temperatures and freezing, and plus, you know, the passing of my mom. So... Um, as I said earlier in the program, I write a poem every day, and so it happened that, like all the rest of my life, I had written a series of poems, turns out as a series of poems, about her passing a few days before, and then a month or so after, as I sort of dealt with that process of taking care of my father, taking care of my mother's last arrangements, and and all the feelings, and traveling across the continent a couple times in the car with my father, going to Kentucky to my brother's house, and all those experiences. And and it, for our listeners to hear the experiences that, that you're talking about, sort of situational and place, it's so clear to me that your poetry is not about the journal writing of I went here and I went there and this is what I felt and, this, <laughs> no, and that, you know, this is what I saw. It's so much, it's very much evocative uh, coming out of the landscape, coming out of the, the field of relationship that was going on at the time. And um, I'd love it if you'd share one of those poems right yeah. now. I'm going to read a poem called Maternal Caress, which I actually wrote on the day of my mother's passing. And, um, uh, and then I'll talk a little bit about some of the imagery and some of the ways that got created. The full moon begins to wane, not for lack of sustenance, but because of a desire for darkness coincident with the season. Winter, the dry snow filling the cracks in the parched earth, where even the wild doe steps sensitively not wanting with her soft, long ears to hear the breakage of frozen summer herbage. What is it about the victory of cold that makes us shudder and deny it its due honor? That dark general's mother moving armorless through the fields, gathering the sad relics of spent armies, and holding high counsel only with solitude. The night is still amazingly luminous, and as the frost touches her enormous presence, the winds that lashed the day lie motionless, the crisp breath silvering the clear air, and birthing 
for a moment a ragged comfort. Yes, even in desolation, she offers rest, a place of warmth where this vast frigidness shrinks down to the small circumference of her arms. So, it's interesting, the affect of the poem is something, when I'm writing the poem, uh, it's so part of the process of the poem that I don't feel it in a normal sort of way. <laughs> what does a normal way mean? What do you I mean? don't feel it the way it was when you're watching a movie and there's a sad part and you cry, oh, right? Yeah. But it's well, when I hear myself it's read it, it's it? different. Yeah. So, and I'm going to especially different if there's someone else read it to me. Uh, then I sort of get the affect, yeah. get the emotion yeah. of it. Um, a couple of things in the in the poem, the imagery of the poem. Uh, one of the issues as we were driving back and forth to the hospital, which was maybe 70 miles away from where my parents live, uh, is that after dusk at night, there's a real danger of uh, hitting a deer on the highway. And uh, so we're always, we always had drivers that sort of riding deer shotgun <laughs> to help the driver uh, concentrate on stuff at the side of the road. And so I, I thought uh, through the experience a lot, it was entangled with this, with the images of the deer walking along in the frozen grass at night mm. on the side of mm -hmm. the road. And so uh, the sound of, to hear the breakage of frozen summer herbage, those G sounds, just kind of yeah, like that crunch, crunch that crunch, you... Crunch, crunch, on the snow. On the snow, right? Yeah. And that hypersensitivity that one feels when you're in a sort of grieving place. Um, for my case, particularly since I'm a poet, to sound, hmm. uh, to capture that sort of that image of the deer listening to the sound of her own footprints in the dry snow, hmm. was something that was um, came through in this particular instance. And the other, another major image in the poem, uh, is um, sort of an historical image that after battles, before modern day battles, mothers and uh, sisters and wives would go to the battlefield to try to identify to mm. find their to find their loved ones basically wow. there's a great great etching by a german artist named frida kolwitz of that experience so i wanted that mm. image uh Of loneliness. You got it. And 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 grief, <laughs> and uh, the extreme solitude of that moment. Uh, and then the last, the last of the poem, of course, uh, comes down. My mother was a very small, small woman, and. Uh, 
So the circumference of her arms was a very small reach. But of course, uh, for the child, the mother's always the complete work. Well, this is a perfect time in our show to offer a oneness blessing. We do this at 20 minutes of the hour, as we did earlier in the show, 20 after the hour. And I think that poem just really sets us up to a place of connecting in very deeply with the presence, the presence of Divine Mother, the presence of our own mothers, the presence of of love and grace that wraps around each one of us. And so I invite you, if you are listening, to just take a moment and center yourself in your heart. If you, if it's comfortable for you to close your eyes, to just do that for a moment as we send you this oneness blessing, this grace. And feel this as a blessing for your relationship with your mother, whether she's with you in physical form or whether she has made a transition. She is here ever with you in so many aspects of your life. So feel this blessing, this oneness grace. Sachidananda Parabrahma blessing for the divine energy for the phenomenon of oneness that is literally retuning us to a different frequency in mind and body. We're here, you're listening to the Oneness Program, Oneness FM, and this is Patricia Keel. I'm here with Roy Doty, and we've been having a wonderful opportunity to listen to Roy read some of his poetry most recently, uh, he's been reading from his book that's soon to be published, Clear Morning, which is a series of poems around the time of his mom's passing. And I'd like to invite you, Roy, to bring bring us back to your experience in India, your experience of going to India and becoming a oneness blessing giver, and some of those um, experiences I know brought you to writing the next poem that you told me you'd like to share. I'd love to hear it. Um, Yeah. When we were in India the first two times, now the Oneness Temple is complete, and it's an amazing... I think I... (laughs) If you go to our website, onenessprogram.com, you can see a picture of this extraordinary temple. But it was in... And it, it rose up out of the sort of the treeless plain there very... Quickly, and it's a huge and uh, extremely impressive edifice. But we, uh, the second time we went to India, we visited the temple just before its completion. It 
it was still getting its sort of marble covering. And uh, so we had, we kind of walked through construction debris at the end of the day and went up to the top floor of the temple, which I think is the largest uncolumned space of a bu any building in they, Asia. They actually designed it so that 8,000 people could sit in the hall and meditate at the same time, and there are no columns. Yeah. There's one big altar, and there's a center space. There's a no center space where light comes in from the sky, I believe. Well, no, it's more of a dome. But the energy is very, it's a huge yeah. vortex there in the center. It's quite extraordinary. So I think there was a group of about 10 or 15 of us from different countries, from all different countries, who went to this space. Uh, at the end of the day, when the skies, which are amazing anyway in India, were doing everything that they could do. <laughs> and there was sun, there was rainbows, there were... Uh, uh, there was rain, there was, it was getting to be dusk, uh, and then, uh, as darkness came on, the group chanted and prayed in a circle that was so in this yeah. temple. So I wrote this poem called, uh, Swan Song, um, that reflects that experience. On the last day of the world, the remnants of the true believers will suddenly, and a little sadly, realize that the temple was never devised to be completed. That the great marble edifice with its cupolas and minarets, its impressive arches and spiraling ziggurats, will be home only to a few feral dogs its porticos echoing with the clatter of pigeon wings. Amidst the construction debris, these ghosts will be ascending the concrete stairs, viewing what is left of the last day, golden sheets of tropical squalls slanting rain across green lines of small, hysterical trees that will never grow large enough to shade the boulevards and the sky, its vast dome shattered with the incomplete grandeur of trying to express too many things, will be an enormous hovel of broken rainbows, of massive thunderheads, purple and orange and white, of the sinking last day sun, and of the final, never-to-be-full, half-moon, silvered, and set against the foil of an impossible cerulean. On the last day, the revenants, not wholly sincere, will realize they were actors who had forgotten their lines, and each one, each devotee, will be the one speaker of a tongue shared by no other. They will gather these ghosts of the primeval dying mind in a last stand of flesh against the onslaught of eternity, holding hands in a circle beneath the darkening dome, and they will chant forlornly, happily, words they do not understand.
Well, you did it again. I'm just I'm back in India when I'm listening to you read these these poems. It's really so extraordinarily powerful. Now, one of the things that I love about your poetry, Roy, and, I, and part of this is because I know you so well and I know how connected you are to nature, um, but I really understand how your deep, deep sense of oneness with nature comes out in the words that you write, in the way that you write. Um, we're going to be doing this retreat, which we I mentioned, I think, in the, in the break, um, but we're going to be in a, a beautiful place at Ananda Village doing this retreat on oneness and poetry. And Would you like to share a little bit more about that and about how that is going to be embedded in what we're doing at the retreat over Memorial Day weekend? Um, would you remind me what you call the retreat? <laughs> oh, this is a, the retreat where we're going to be in, incorporating some processes from oneness to really get people more deeply in touch with their own birth process. Their so it's about the birth mother. process. But, but that we're going to be, people will have an opportunity to be out in, in the grounds of Ananda Village, out in nature, by the ponds, walking in the woods, going along the, but really connecting with, with Mother Earth at the same time as they're dealing right. with their own birth process and then be in, in that um, experience with you of doing some poetry in probably a way they've never done poetry before so right so um do you remember now well i didn't know what you <laughs> called it. i knew we were going to do it about the birth process i just didn't remember what you called it because uh, i knew we bantered about things so it kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier in the show and that is the sense that we are born anew every moment and in those uh children of course know that very well <laughs> uh, animals do that constantly right trees plants nature you can't be in nature for five minutes without having uh, at least five different experiences maybe 500 or 5,000 different experiences that's why you love being with the birds it's constantly it's changing change. it's constantly uh moving um and that is the antithesis of a great deal of our conditioned life i mean um people and maybe some of our listeners will go to the therapist or talk to their friends or talk to their spouses or their boss and they will reiterate again and again the same story the same kind of words and then of course our cultural conditioning only gives us certain phrases and snippets of phrases and now with uh, twitter and uh, commercials on tv and everything We've, we've narrowed our world down to sort of a soundbite story, and we all have our soundbite story, that creates a wall between us and this experience of oneness. It creates a wall between us and this experience of immediacy and this, the experience of being alive. Poetry and the oneness blessing and the processes we use in, in oneness makes that wall permeable and allows us to go back into this womb of nature. Uh, there's a poem somewhere by Rilke where he talks about flies and small creatures who never leave the womb of nature. <laughs> they, wherever they are, and I, I used to, when I'd gone to South Dakota in the Black Hills and I see the animals graving, the buff buffaloes and mm. the antelopes and everything, I say, what is it like to sleep and eat and give Everything birth and right die there. all with the same place, right? You eat yeah. the grass, you sleep in the grass. <laughs> you 
poop on the grass. You, the whole thing, <laughs> you know, right? Yeah. And so we are, because of the convoluted nature of our lives, we're cut off from that. And, um, and the way we use language and abuse language uh, reinforces that cut. Mm. And so one of the things we want to do on this uh, retreat, and it is a retreat and it's a fabulously wonderful place. It's an intentional community. It's been there for 50 years. It's very peaceful. Uh, if we didn't do anything except for just we're in the space, that would probably You'd be transforming feel, enough. Yeah. Um, and you have get, that great connection to Yogananda, which is yeah, the, the yeah. place. Is, it was founded by uh, well, a devotee just, of yeah. uh, Paramahansa Yogananda. So uh, just the idea of just withdrawing for this artificial atmosphere of our culture and our everyday life and, and returning to who we are. And then you, the process that you will be taking us through um, in the poetry is going to be a very different experience than what most people are used to. They're solitary sitting down and writing a poem. Yeah, sometimes, uh, I probably will do this at the beginning, is that as a group we'll write a poem. And I've done this before in teaching poetry. When you write a poem, you take a little tour around your brain. <laughs> you have abstract words, you have concrete words, you have words from nature. Uh, and if you're really good, you don't just take a trip around your own brain. You take a trip around many people's brains, right? You, uh, you sort of enter into eternity. And so, whatever we do, we want to break out of that confinement of our own skull, of our own just uh, sort of locked-in personal experience, and, and move out into this universal, more archetypal realm. And language, language touches each one of us. And people often, I see spiritual people, lots of people say, oh, well, you know, there are things beyond the reach of language. And that may be true, but I would guarantee you that none of the, nobody I have known has knows they've not expanded themselves to the boundaries of that reach. This is English, just English, has been around in its modern form for 500 years. It's been spoken by hundreds of millions of people. It's absorbed the experiences of people all over the world. It's the most widely spoken language that's ever existed in the world. Uh, and each one of these words, each syllable, each letter even, is sort of the uh, storage house of all these experiences. And so uh, when we start to enter into language that way, we start to open up uh, as uh, not just in a linguistic way, hmm. but in a spiritual way. I see why you're an avatar of words, an avatar of language. It's, you're passionate about it. I could see it in your face that you're yes. passionate about the, about language and that you understand language in a, in a way that most people don't uh, because you see it as expanding consciousness rather than as something that defines and limits in any way. So, right. Well, I'm excited about this workshop that we're going to be doing and I'm so grateful that we've had an opportunity to have you on the show and um, we'll have you back again. I think we might have time right now for, for one closing poem. Um, do you have a poem that you could share with us? Sure. Uh, this poem is called Fierce Gardener, and it's one that I've written recently. Uh, and I'll just read it because of time constraints here. It is a long, long trek over rugged country 
and to make it there you will have to portage much that is burdensome. Though returning, you will, you must be, naked. There you will confront in the remnants of an old, old forest the ancient burned-out stump of a once great tree. The stump, though only a stump, will be gigantic, and its force will revolve above you in the green-blue lights of an intense but strangely impersonal desire. It is that thing, buried or burrowing, deep in the body's tissues, brooding like a rogue oppressor, vigilant, ruthless, almost untouchable. Almost. Almost. And as you stand before this titan, so like a planet observed from outer space, it is anything but dead, though its mass is all burns and scars and terrible splinters. Yet still, so still, there is a potency interred in its harsh corpse, hostile to every pretense of human conscience, and steeped in the throes of a tragic martyrdom so different than that of saints or would-be saints. And when you have seen this, felt this, touched this inner, almost untouchable thing, the tissue in which its hunger has been buried begins to bleed, not blood, but something brighter. Now you may leave the presence and journey home, feeding on your desires along the way. And you will seem the same to those you live with, the same, perhaps, even to yourself. But you will be growing deep inside your body, the seed of one who knows the life in death. Thank you, Roy, for sharing your poetry with us on the show today. And you're listening to the Oneness Program on Oneness FM. That concludes our show today. I want to point you to our website, onenessprogram.com. Roy's poetry will be available there for you to share, and also very soon a download of his new ebook, Clear Morning. Also, there's information about the retreat that Roy and I will be offering at Ananda Village the end of May. So we'd love to see some of you there at this beautiful retreat on oneness and poetry. Looking forward to connecting with you very soon on the Oneness program, Oneness FM. This is Patricia Keel. Namaste. 